0: Welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah.
1: I'm Jane.
0: How are you doing,
1: Jane? I'm good. I'm kind of tired. Uh, I feel like I say that every week. Um, <laughs> good, I'm, every yeah,
0: week I'm, good, I'm Good, I'm tired. Every week, I'm good. I'm tired. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I went kayaking with my parents yesterday oh kayaking's like it's not an easy thing to do you know it requires a lot of (laughs) upper body strength (laughs) it
0: does and it's like you cannot quit halfway through you know like you're just out in open water
1: no especially because what i did with my parents yesterday is i we paddled from um the beach at east booth bay out to this island called squirrel island which you've been to yeah um but it's like you can't just like you said give up like when you're halfway through the only thing you can do is get there (laughs)
0: Right, right, and it's not like <laughs> you can like
1: stop like you're in the middle of the ocean,
0: <laughs> and then you have to do it all the way back, yeah yeah it's a tough it's a tough one, especially going against the current,
1: uh, yeah, it was easier coming back because the waves were on our side. it was funny, <laughs> we were like halfway there and really far away there was this giant like ferry boat that was starting to come in our direction mm-hmm. and my mom panicked it was like we have to wait for it to pass and my dad was like you know we're way slower than that boat right it's gonna pass us way before we get there like it's not we're not <laughs> gonna not get run over task. yeah like we're not gonna get run over by that boat i <laughs> <My laughs> was like i don't know but it did end up passing us so that we went over the waves and then the waves pushed us pretty much to shore so it was and it ended up being helpful right that's funny. <laughs> it was funny. Anyway, <laughs> how are you? I'm good.
0: I'm good. Start work at school tomorrow.
1: Ooh.
0: Yeah. Uh, are there
1: kids there or is it just like meetings?
0: No, kids aren't there until the 21st now. Oh, wow. Um, so it's just like getting stuff together, which I think nope. I said last week. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to go back to work, I guess. Um, see how it goes. Fingers crossed. Everything will be I fine. know
1: it, it feels working at schools feels like such a weird, like we're all kind of floating. We don't really know what's going on. Yeah. Cause I'm not thing. entirely
0: convinced that like it'll last. I'm kind of like, I think we're going to go in and I'm going to be out again in like three weeks, you know?
1: Yeah. We but... were there all last week thinking that kids would be back tomorrow. And yeah. then on Friday, they or not Friday. We didn't work on Friday. On Thursday, they told us that, that it was pushed back until the 14th. Um, but All of the plans we're making so far really, like, are really weather dependent, in my opinion. Like, it's a lot of like, and this is gonna work because we're gonna give the kids lots of time outside and... Right. (laughs) Like, like, you know this is Maine, right? And it's gonna probably get rainy and then snowy pretty fast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, we we can't even do that. Like, we have no place to go outside. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, I don't know what the teachers are thinking, but we'll find out. Um, (sighs) should we get started?
1: Sure, let's, um, I was trying to make a pun, but now nothing's coming. Sled on Um, into it? Let's sled on into (laughs) it. (laughs) That's what I was going for. Yeah. Okay, so the 1993 movie Cool Runnings is a beloved sports film about the Jamaican national bobsleigh team, which is interesting to me that, like, the sport is actually called bobsleigh.
0: It is?
1: Yeah. I don't know if that's everywhere or maybe if it's just Jamaica or that's weird Europe but yeah Um, Jamaica's national bobsleigh team's debut in competition during the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary. Uh While the film is a nostalgic favorite, a feel-good underdog story, and probably the most famous movie about the Olympics, it is only loosely based on the true story and has many historical inaccuracies.
0: That's okay, that's okay. I forgive the movie.
1: Yeah. You're also, allowed
0: to have historical inaccuracies when it comes out to be a good movie.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's not a perfect film, but I like, did I rewatch it today? Yes. Did I have a great time? Yes. Yes. It's so good. <laughs> um, the two biggest like thematic inaccuracies is the, the reception of the team at the Olympics and their reasons for forming the team in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, In the movie the bobsled team is laughed at and unwelcomed by their competitors at the olympics in reality they were immensely popular at the olympics they were welcomed warmly and they were seen as an unexpected underdog competing in a winter sport while coming from a tropical country Mm -hmm. um and they couldn't even leave the olympic village without getting mobbed by fans and paparazzi and american media loved them so they were very much like popular people didn't have very high expectations for their athletic performance but like the atmosphere was friendly no one was mean to them um which is the case in the movie for an example of how differently they were treated in real life versus the movie in the movie john candy's character begs an old friend to let the team pay them pay him five thousand dollars to that they raised by themselves to purchase a used bobsled from him which was faulty and ultimately causes their crash but in real life um, the other teams were excited that they were there and they voluntarily loaned them equipment. Oh. Um, mu- multiple other teams wanted to help them, in- including their sled, which was loaned to them, um, and none of it was faulty or broken. Yes, there was some mechanical issues because all their stuff was used, but the crash was not caused by the fact that it was um, a faulty bobsled. Right. Um, as for the formation of the team in the movie, it's three hopeful Olympic track runners and their friend, who's a pushcart driver, who form a team to um, help make their Olympic dreams come true. In reality, two white American businessmen were watching pushcart races in Jamaica and got the idea to create Jamaica's first bobsled team. Mm. They got the support of the Jamaican Olympic Association, which also doesn't happen in the movie. The, the Olympic Association at first says no. Um, but mm, no track athletes uh, were interested in all. They asked a bunch of different track athletes, and they all said no way. Um, <laughs> so they got the Jamaican army, which is called the Jamaica Defense Force, to recruit from within their ranks. Um, in fact, a lot, uh, a, some of the information I'm getting is that um, Dudley Tall Stokes, um, who was one of the four. Um Bob's letters mm-hmm. from the story. He went on Reddit in 2013 on the Ask Me <gasps> Any page and <laughs> he, like, gave a bunch of information. And uh, some of that is where I'm getting this from. But you know, that's so you. cool. I know Thanks, Dudley. We love her I, I couldn't tell all of the information that I could find on him called him Dudley, but his um In his Reddit post, he calls himself Dudley, quote Tall Stokes. So I think Tall is maybe like his nickname, and then his his handle is Jamaican Bob's letter T S.
0: So I think he (laughs) goes by
1: Tall. Yeah. (laughs) um, But if I'm gonna be kind of using those interchangeably. he said in what, when he was asked about his experience. He said, I got into bobsledding because I was told to. I was in the army at the time the Colonel made the suggestion to me and because I was a captain you do as you're told and obey orders. There were two Americans George Finch and William Maloney who were big into push cart racing and thought it translated well into bobsledding you mix that with the Jama- with the Jamaican athleticism and they th- thought it could work with some of our track athletes, they couldn't get anyone to actually do the sport. So they went to the army and my Colonel. So that's how I became involved, involved in it. Once there I was hooked. So all of the um, first four team members were recruited by the army. Um, Those were the two biggest like thematic differences, but there are a lot of inaccuracies other than that. For example, in the movie, there's only one coach, John Candy's character, who is fictional. Um,
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: they only trained in Jamaica and Calgary. In real life, coaches were recruited from the U.S. and Austria, and the team traveled to Austria and then Lake Placid, New York to train there before going oh. to Calgary. That's cool. Um, in the movie, there's a plot line where the team is temporarily disqualified because John Candy's character has a history of cheating. But again, John Candy's character uh, is fictional, and that never happened. Mm-hmm. Um Again, I have a great fondness for the Cool Runnings movie, but I do think it's a shame that the stories of the real men on the team were not told, because right. um, the the story of their team is really cool. Um, I also kind of think the characters are kind of like thin stereotypes. Like, mm-hmm. Derice is the leader, Sanka is the stoner, Yule is the tough guy, and then Junior's the scaredy cat, um, right. and they really stick to those sort of tropes. Well, um, this movie
0: was made by Disney, so
1: yeah. <laughs> Um, but in reality, the, four, the team consisted of four men named Devin Harris, Dudley Stokes, Michael White, and Freddie Powell, and then later a fifth man joined, who I'll we'll get to. Um, they had very little time to train, which you do see in the movie, but they don't really specify how long the timeline is. Tall Stokes said that, they, that he saw a bobsled for the first time in September of 1987, and then by February of 1988, he was competing in the Winter Olympics. Oh, wow. Um, Which is crazy. Yeah,
0: that's really Um,
1: fast. Chris Stokes was Tall Stokes' brother, who at the time was studying for his MBA at Washington State University. He traveled up to Calgary to um, be a spectator and support his brother. Freddie Powell became injured, and because uh, Chris Stokes had a history of participating in college sprinting. He was a really well-known sprinter from Jamaica. They asked him to join the team. So he had three days of training before competing in the Olympics.
0: That's crazy. I know.
1: He just went to watch his brother and then one of the team team members got injured and they were like, oh, uh, want to help. That's <laughs> but, insane uh, that you're
0: allowed to do that because normally alternates still have to qualify.
1: I wonder, I don't know if that maybe like policy wise that wouldn't be allowed today, but that's what happened then.
0: That's really nuts. Nice. Sorry, I'm opening a cup, hold
1: on. Um, so the team had many hurdles to jump that weren't depicted in the movie. Freddie Powell's injury and having to be replaced by Chris Stokes being one of the biggest ones. But mm-hmm. also during their first run of the four-man event, um, part of Dudley Tal Stokes's sled collapsed. And then oh. on the second day, um, he fell and injured his shoulder. So Dudley Stokes really had a rough week. Of- yeah. <laughs> it's... Um,
0: I mean injuries at the Olympics are very common.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially bobsledding is such a dangerous event. Um, I yeah. I of, mean, there's so like every
0: event at the Olympics is dangerous in some way.
1: Yeah. Before a run is what you call like, you know, when you go down, when the, when the <laughs> just one ride, yeah. When yeah, you yeah. do the thing, it's one ride. And yeah, in yeah. the Olympics there's like three runs that you do. Yeah. Um, and um, before the big run, the the like the three runs that they show in the movie, um, Dudley, uh, Tall Stokes, and Michael White first competed in a two-man event. Mm-hmm. So there's a four-person one and a two-person one. Um, they finished thirtieth out of 41 teams. Oh. That happened before the four-man team um, mm-hmm. began to compete. Um, the way that it's depicted in the movie is actually kind of accurate, that, that they didn't have a great first run. Um, their second run was better, and they actually had a really good third run um, mm-hmm. to start. Again, it ended very badly. Um, <laughs> but they um, actually had uh, a very good start. They ha- were the seventh fastest um, start in the competition. Oh, wow. Um, but the run did end, end in a dangerous crash, but... Um, uh, as I said before, the movie makes it seem like it's because the sled is just old and, like, gives mm-hmm. out. Um, but what really happened is that um, Dudley Stokes lost control of the sled while it was moving at 85 miles per hour, causing Jeez. it to crash. The teammates were trapped underneath uh, the underneath the sled and then help came and got them out. Um, none of them were injured, but they were just, like, stuck under there. Yeah. Um, the team did really walk to the finish line as the crowd applauded them, but it was not quite as cinematic as depicted. They did not carry the heavy sled on their shoulders across the finish line. They more smartly just like flipped it back over and then pushed it along the ice to the oh. finish line. And then picked yeah, it up I never once thought about how
0: it doesn't end. make sense. Why do they carry it? Why don't they just push it? I didn't think about that. I guess because I guess it is hard to push something when you're also walking on the ice. You know, they probably would have like skidded.
1: Maybe, but that's what they did in real life. And they said it was way easier. <laughs> yeah, but the... it wouldn't have looked as cool.
0: <laughs> it wouldn't have looked
1: as cool. You're right. You're right. You're right. And there is something very like. Like from the film director's cinematic perspective, and the main... it
0: looks better about having them walk with the thing on their shoulders as opposed yeah. to have, like doing the running in place. <laughs> As they get there. <laughs> it's very it's anticlimactic its It is. It'll it be it comical is. for a very
1: serious and heartwarming moment. <laughs> I honestly though watch re-watching that movie this afternoon, I was like like tearing up at that part. It was well, so I, like
0: I, it's so emotional.
1: It's like look at that. It was so like it, it, inspirational. Yeah. Um
0: I love I loved Cool Runnings as a kid. I watched it at least once a month. <laughs>
1: my brothers and I watched it all the time and we would like pretend to be bobsledders. We would sit in our bathtub and And like one behind the other and go like left, right. And when we went to the beach, we would dig a hole and sit in it like it was a bobsled. Yeah. Like we did it all the time. Yeah. It's a great movie. (laughs) (laughs) We love that movie. Uh, The team members of the real life team are not afraid to point out and correct the inaccuracies of the movie, but they still like it and embrace it. Um, they recognize that it's fiction and that the character—I mean, the characters are not even named after them. Right. So they're like, "This is not our story. It's just inspired right. by our story." Right. Um, they appreciate the spirit of the film, which emphasizes fighting to break new ground and knowing you are already enough. Win or lose. Win or lose. When asked how he felt about the film's inaccuracies, Dudley Stokes answered, it's a featured Disney film. Not much in it actually happened in real life. There were some things that were inspirational for the film. It's different from a documentary. It's really served Jamaica's bobsled very well. Um, so ultimately, like, that's an example of how, like, all of them are like, it's not based on us, but it's brought a lot of attention to Jamaican bobsled. And right. it, it has the right message. So we're cool with it. Right. Um, in 1988, um, w- 1988 was the only year Jamaica had a four-man bobsled team. Um, they returned to the Winter Olympics with two men bobsled teams in 1992, 1994, 1998, 2002, and 2014. Oh, the o- yeah, that's the so cool. o- yeah, the other years Jamaica either didn't have a team or their team failed to qualify. Mm-hmm. In 2018, Jamaica debuted its first Olympic team of two women. <gasps> That's I know. That's so exciting. Uh, if you want to hear a sweet story that, like, I think kind of rounds this out nicely, um, it's the, like, development of the female team, and that's mm-hmm. um, in um, 2000 and 2001, um, there was this female team of two women named Portia Morgan and Winsome Cole, and they were a team, and they competed, but they just didn't compete at the, um, in the Olympics. They competed at other competitions, um, and they were in this competition called the world push. And there are lots of like national bobsled competition competitions that are called the national push. Cause when you start a bobsled, it's called the push. Um, and they, in 2000 and 2001, they had the fastest push in all of their runs resulting in landslide victories. They won two years in a row. Um, and they became seen as these, um, really big contenders in the sport. And they wanted to start a national Jamaican women's Bobsled team slash program, but um, they weren't able to do that at first because they had a lot of trouble obtaining funding. And then, unfortunately, when when some Cole suffered injuries from a crash, um, resulting in their team having to withdraw from competitions. And then it took until 2014 mm-hmm. for Jamaica to actually put together um, a female Olympic team. Yeah. Um, they didn't get to the olympics until 2018 but in 2014 that's when they started they like put a group of women together to start working towards that goal and then they competed in the olympics in 2018. usually what happens now like when the jamaica first started they literally just had those four guys and then like the fifth kind of alternate but now it's like you actually have a group of people that you can choose to be on your team and then two people Mm -hmm. represent that team and the two women that represented the team in 2018 were jasmine um, Fenlit, Fen, Fenlitter, Victorian, and Carrie Russell. Uh, they came in 19th place, which I thought was important to bring up because the highest the men's Jamaican team has ever come is 27th place. So. Oh, good for them. Uh, yep. And then here's the reason why I think this story is so sweet, that on that 2014 revival team was Natalia Stokes, Daughter and niece of Chris and Dudley Stokes, who were Aww. the two guys from the original team. That's, so, and that's sweet. so sweet. Yeah, that's really cute. I like was I almost teared up when I read that. I was like, and their daughter's doing it. Like <laughs> that's
0: really cute. That's super cute.
1: Um so Dudley Stokes does a lot of um um, motivational speeches, and for example, he's doing Reddit Q and As, and he uh, does a lot of like uh, when the Olympics comes around, he's involved in stuff with the teams. He's like a, a not as much of a coach, but he's um, he does a lot of like higher up help, and he's in charge of things. Um, but he's a person that speaks publicly a lot about bobsledding, and he does, as I said before, motivational speeches. And I picked a couple quotes from um pieces of advice he gave people on on that reddit thread and i was like they're really sweet um someone asked him like what general advice would you give to people and he said, my best piece of advice is to find the superhero within you. There is one within everyone. Between whatever happens to you and the response is a moment in time where every human being has the ability to exercise choice. What this ultimately means is that we determine the long-term significance of every act. In 1988, we crashed at, 88, at 80 miles per hour during the Olympics for the television audience of 1 billion. It was very dangerous, could have been fatal, It could have made us the laughingstock of the world. In that moment, we could have walked away altogether that we were going to stick with this bobsled program until we were world class. And that happened in six years, which was quite remarkable. The key was that decision we made after the big event to stick with it. Uh, and then he went on to say, uh, when someone asked him, "What do you think um, Bobsledding has done for Jamaica?" he said uh, right now this was again, he wrote this in 2013, but I think it 's still kind of true. Um, mm-hmm. right now, Jamaica is about Bob Marley, then Bob sled and, right- <laughs> <laughs> and right now it 's about bolt isn 't Usain Bolt who yeah." is from Jamaica also. Um, The team didn't put Jamaica on the map, but it kept it top of mind. Jamaicans are aware of this, and it is a source of pride for me traveling or when at home. So bobsledding has really brought um, just more attention to the country of Jamaica um, mm-hmm. in uh, I think more recently since that time like yes like Usain Bolt has brought attention and right you know, there's always the Bob Marley attention that he's talking about but he, he he's proud that it brought more like a different type of admiration to that country and I, agree. I think it's a really cool underdog story um, that's all I really have on it but it was a cool thing to read about cool I'm glad it you enjoyed fun. researching it yeah I love that movie it's so good, and there's some moments that I totally forgot about that are so funny. Like, oh, what's that one moment where it's like Sanka and Derice, and Derice is trying to convince Sanka to join the team, and he's like, "Sanka, who's the greatest pushcart driver in all of Jamaica?" And Sanka goes, "You're looking at him," and he goes, "Great, so you're gonna help me?" And, and Sanka says, "Like I'm so saying, positively, no,
0: <laughs> no, I used to cry laughing when um." when they would crash the first time and teresa said senka you dead man and you would be like yeah man <laughs> like, i would cry laughing i thought it was so funny i would say that to my friends and i would say that to each other like if we got hurt on the playground they'd yep. be like you dead man <laughs>
1: like, yeah man <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's such a funny movie and it's like i don't know like i think it's a really Positive representation of like incredible black athletes like overcoming Mm -hmm. this really insane thing. And like, I don't mind that they added the fact that the other teams were
1: racist because like racism is real, you know? Like, well, it kind of sounds like not that they didn't ever experience any racism, but it wasn't like the overt, like, we all hate you type racism. It was more of a like, they were kind of saying it was like, oh, these silly people are going to come try and do bobsled. And they didn't do amazingly, but like, they still Ooh, qualified like, they qualified and they didn't come in last right
0: which for doing that for the first time after is, having seen a bobsled for the first like, time a
1: couple months before is like, let's think of, like it's literally exactly what um ryan hamilton talks about how we have no perspective when we're watching the olympics right we think we could do it too but we it's such a hard thing it is like it is. these people are competing at such elite when you, levels
0: right and when you hear time for something in your head you can't fathom that the one time um i was watching the amazing race which i love yeah and they there was a swimming challenge in beijing in china mm-hmm. which is where the summer olympics had been mm-hmm. like 2 years before that or something like that and um, they had to swim laps in the pool, the teams did. They had to swim 400 meters, which is um, what Michael Phelps had just won gold for. Mm -hmm. And so they showed how quickly Michael Phelps swam 400 meters And like you watched it move as they did Mm -hmm. it. They didn't have to do it as fast as Michael Phelps because they're just normal people, but it was just like for reference. And most people swam 400 meters in about 10 minutes and Michael Phelps did it in three. And these are still like incredibly athletic people. You have to be athletic to be on The Amazing Race. It was really unbelievable. And I was like, oh my God, that's how fast he is. But it just Mm -hmm. like never, it never really had settled in my brain how fast that is. Cause when you're watching it, you're like, oh yeah, he moves fast. But mm-hmm. the distance versus the speed. It's kind of hard to fathom.
1: Yeah. I mean, these were, um, like they said, like the, they wanted sprinters at first. And the movie makes it seem like, uh, well, in the movie, they are all sprinters except for Senka. Um, right. And I, when I was reading this, it's being a sprinter actually does Um, give you a leg up in Mm -hmm. bobsledding because um, it makes you have really strong leg muscles. And those are, that's really important for the initial push off, which is like 90% of what you have to be good at. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: So they, I mean, some of them had like experience with sprinting, but like they were all in the army and then, except for Chris Stokes who had Mm -hmm. um, um, competed in college, but like physically the hardest things to do were that they had to learn to perform physically in colder weather because none Mm -hmm. of them are really used to cold climates so that was like physically the the hardest thing they had to learn to do but also one of the biggest struggles at first was gaining funding because they had a lot of trouble getting people to take them seriously and not Mm -hmm. just in like in calgary and at the olympics like at jamaica too um they like were trying to find sponsors and people to donate money and and they didn't that was really difficult for them and it's part of why when they got to the olympics they had to borrow equipment from other teams because they just didn't have right. stuff.
0: Right.
1: And it's not a cheap thing to be in the Olympics. It's not like you can just like be like, I'm gonna do it. Like you need right. money.
0: <laughs> right. Right. That's why so many of them have sponsorships.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, thank you for talking about that. We're gonna talk mm-hmm. about something now that is the opposite of cold and winter Olympics. Um, for the middle segment today, I want to talk about the heat wave in LA do you know anything know about there's a heat wave in la (laughs) um so today la reached a record temperature la county reached a record temperature of 121 degrees fahrenheit (gasps) it's the worst heat wave they've had i
1: can't even imagine
0: um and so essentially these heat waves have called a series of caused a series of blackouts all throughout la um in the middle of august they the Electrical companies there had to heat had to release a warning that they asked people to have their AC above 78 degrees to um, limit electricity use between 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. every day, um, mm-hmm. and to just turn off as many lights as possible because the blackouts were causing explosions. Um and a lot of other sorry, three p.m. and ten p.m. every day. Um, because the blackouts were causing explosions at different power plants because of the heat. Um yeah, the the it's the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power um, had to implement rolling blackouts. Um, so essentially, one area of LA would be dark for about an hour on a rotating basis every day um, because of the heat. Um, and this was like, a little, this was about a month ago now at this point that this started. But the heat I had is, no idea. Yeah, the heat is like only getting worse. It's really, really bad. Like I said, today it reached a record high of 121 degrees Fahrenheit. And they have no signs that it's going to stop. Essentially, they think it's coming in from the south of Utah, or like that. It's
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's going to loop back around, back to LA. Um, back in August, forecasters said this heat wave could rival the 2006 heat wave, um, and that's when LA recorded its all-time highest temperature, 119 degrees, which is now surpassed. Um, and when that heat wave hit, like thousands of people died, which is very scary.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: But at the same time that this is going on, there are also a lot of California wildfires happening. um, And the heat wave is not helping that at all. Um, They think around 7,000 acres have caught on fire in the last month in LA um, with difficulty to contain those fires. And then just this morning, a story broke that a couple had used an explosive device um, that was supposed to generate smoke for a gender
1: reveal party and that caused a fire that scorched about three thousand acres i saw a headline about that today but i thought like that can't have happened again because that's not the first time i've heard of a- an explosion from a gender reveal party causing a massive fire
0: yes yeah, so no i have like again. that's insane people yeah and it was gender made- reveal parties are not worth this and it was is made worth worse by dry conditions and the, and the heat wave, um, which is very scary. It is. An hour ago, the San Francisco Chronicle posted, 14,800 firefighters are now battling 23 major fires in the state. Um, the blazes have burned more than 1.5 million acres. Um, I think that's this year. And there have been eight fire deaths and more than 3,300 structures destroyed the there's another tweet that shows a map and so right now california most of california and then significant parts of oregon going into washington um and then over into nevada utah arizona new mexico and wyoming and parts of colorado are an extreme and then other areas um in nevada utah idaho colorado and wyoming i'm trying to remember the name of all the states um are in critical <laughs> condition i'm looking at a map that doesn't have states names on it i'm just looking at like Oof, geography quiz yeah but i'm doing it um are in critical condition as it moves as, as the widespread heat and fires are moving into the mm-hmm. midwest so
1: that's what's going on there Oof, is there anything that can be done like
0: i really. Not that I really have
1: money to donate, but. I
0: mean, not, not really. Like, it's mainly a climate change issue. Like, yeah, they just have to do, like, we just as a society have to do more to stop climate change or help climate change along, um, without all this. There's nothing that can really be done on an individual level. Okay unfortunately in terms of um, the people in LA going through the heat wave it's like listen to what the LA Department of um, water and power are saying and try to follow their advisories I know it's really hard to like have your power turned off and I'm sure it's really hot and you want to have the AC on but when it's 120 degrees outside like 78 is still gonna feel cool um, like it's 82 degrees in my room right now and I'm fine um, <laughs> so you know I like just listen to what they're saying I know we have my map shows me that we have listeners in California. So if you're out there, like, I hope you're safe. Be safe, yeah. Um, I hope you're okay. But also just, like, listen to what they're saying and follow their advice. Um, so that, because, like, the overuse of power could also cause more explosions, which would cause more fires, which would be really, really bad. So that's what's going on in L.A. right now? I can't believe you haven't heard anything about this. I feel like it's like I
1: knew that there were fo- like forest fires, but I didn't know about it. He- the heat wave.
0: Yeah, the heat wave's been going on for
1: like a month now. Yeah, I I no no one told me. <laughs> I mean, no one told me. It's either. not no. It's... it's everywhere. It's on the news. <laughs> no, I I people are supposed to tell me things. Mm. That's how oh. I I get news. I I just stand around waiting for people to bring information to me. Oh. It's really hard to do research for this show, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I just walk into you like just... public places and look around and go. Anybody know anything about this? Like, I just kind of look around and people ask me, like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh, well, you know, waiting for someone to tell me about um, the Jamaican bobsled team." <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so on to a different topic. <laughs> you asked me about Rumspringa.
1: Yeah. Which
0: led me to rewatch a documentary I watched in high school. and It was just as wild as I remember. And then I was like, wow, I really watched this in school, in high school with my teacher. Um, so, we're going to talk about that. This is a pretty short topic, but I honestly could talk about it for ages. So, we'll see how far yeah. I ad-lib off my notes. Okay. So, Rumspringa <laughs> is a time in the Amish community where the youth are allowed to leave and experience what they refer to as the English world.
1: Mm-hmm
0: um a little i'm just gonna give a brief background about the amish people um they were founded in the religion of amish was founded in germany as an anabaptist sect and they followed jacob amman which is how they became the amish Uh In the second half of the 19th century, they split into Old Order Amish and Amish Mennonites. The Amish we think of, and the ones we're talking about right now, who live very simply and very rarely use modern technology and have the horse and buggies and all that, they are the Amish. Um, Most Amish and Mennonites then migrated into Pennsylvania in the mid-1800s. And their language for both both of these religious sects has evolved into what we call Pennsylvania Dutch or Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. German. For comparison between the two, the world population of Mennonites is around 2.1 million, and the world population of Amish is only 350,000. Amish are m- om- pretty much only found in America, and Mennonites are found around the world. Okay. Mennonites um, are the people who you'll often see, like, they also dress plainly, but uh, the best way I can think about, think to describe it, is that, like, they will... Interact with the modern world more, like yeah. I have a huge farmers market um, near my near my mom's house, um, and those are run by Mennonites, like because okay. they'll use the cash registers, they will use the credit card machines, all of that. Whereas like true Amish people, they're they're um, not true Amish because they're both Amish, old old order Amish, they're they're like very self sufficient. They mm-hmm. don't necessarily you know, have businesses that go and do things for those outside of the Amish community. Mennonites also um, have done a lot of work as missionaries. Um, And this, actually the largest population in the world of Mennonites is in the country of Africa, or not the country, the continent of Africa, but I don't know. (laughs) I almost sound like an idiot. I'm not that person, but I don't know in which countries. Um, But Mennonite has kind of just traveled a lot more. Yeah. So... But fun fact, because the Amish tend to have six to seven children, their population increased by 149% between 1992 and 2017. So there's 350,000 of them, but before that, there was a lot less, oh um, which is, yeah, so they're, they're growing. The Amish have significantly large communities in Indiana, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. I live near
1: mm-hmm.
0: a very large collection of Amish people. A significant difference between the Amish church and other Christian churches is that Amish church baptism occurs between the ages of 16 and 23. Amish church leaders believe it must be the choice of the young adult to join the church um, instead of it being like bestowed on them when they're born. They're like, no, you have to choose. this is a a good
1: attitude yeah
0: i I like that attitude um in order for an amish person to get married they must both be baptized and uh, conversely if you are baptized you may only marry an amish person um so the tradition of rumspringa is a rite of passage that occurs normally between 14 and 16 in order to prepare that person to be baptized for marriage Mm mm-hmm the idea to make of rums Rumspring-
1: like a lifelong commitment,
0: right? Exactly, that like you'll mm-hmm. be making to the church and to your spouse at the same time. the mm-hmm. The idea of rumspringa, according to the documentary Devil's Playground, is that the youth will experience the real world and seeing its temptations, want to return, and that they'll also take this time to find a spouse. During this time, the Amish person will segregate themselves from other Amish. Typical behavioral restrictions are relaxed. Um, And this is, like, very much according to the documentary. And the documentary does only speak to, like, a small portion. There are many other Amish communities that have Rumspringa. But it's more, like, it's much more structured. And it's really Mm -hmm. just, like, a lax time in order for that person to make the decision about joining the church. But some communities take it to, like, a very different extreme. Mm -hmm. Um, Amish elders view this as a time of courtship to find a spouse at the end of which both will be baptized and join the church. Um, the term Rumspringa roughly translates to running around. The documentary <laughs> Devil's Playground was filmed in 2001-2002 and documents the experience of teens in Ohio and Indiana on Rumspringa. The documentary paints Rumspringa as a time when Amish youth go wild. Um, in the documentary, they drink, they do and deal drugs, and there's just no order. They often get arrested. They drive cars. Like, they're like the whole documentary, the teen that it focuses on, like, they're constantly like, breaking the law and doing all this stuff. and But at the same time, they're struggling with, like, do they want to join the church? Will they be baptized? Because then they've gotten used to these, like... What they call English luxuries, you know, mm-hmm. they don't they don't dress in the traditional garb. It's some of them they meet a non Amish person and they start dating. So then it's like mm-hmm. if I want to be with them, they can't join the Amish church. So then they try to convince them to join the Amish church. It's like a whole thing because but because these youth are not baptized, they're not held to the standards of the Amish church. So this means adults will look the other way at misbehavior and they won't be held accountable for anything they did after their baptism because it's like okay. wipe the slate clean, you know? Um, the adults who have been baptized have made a permanent and public commitment to the faith that would be held to the higher standards of behavior if they mm-hmm. partook in these activities after baptism, and those are defined by something called the ordung. But the Amish adolescents are not bound to the ordung; however their parents are. So in some communities, should the adolescents, like, commit a really, really bad crime or something like that, or, like, really do something to the detriment of the Amish community, their parents could be held responsible because their mm. parents are held to these standards. And even though these Amish am- adolescents are in Rumspringa, there is no period where the adolescents are formally released from these rules. It's not like... And now there are no rules. It's just culturally, they kind of look the other way. But, like, because it is a religion, a lot of the, like, children, which is what they are, um, yeah. are still, like... <laughs> are still like, oh, I did this and I feel really bad because it goes against our rules, even though, like, there's not going to be a strict punishment for it,
1: Mm -hmm. you know. I get that.
0: Yeah. In the documentary, many of the youth mention the pressure to join the church during this time, and they debate whether or not they'll be baptized. Um, Like, they'll still hear from their parents. will be like, when are you going to join the church when they do this? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's definitely a lot of pressure. Um, But having seen what English life is like, particularly driving cars, that was a big one that they all talked about. They don't want to give up on all luxuries. So for some people, it takes longer to join the church than others. Some people, like, they'll do it for a month and then they're like, no, I'm going to join the church. But some Mm -hmm. people have a harder time with the adjustment. And in the documentary, they interviewed several adults in the Amish community who had had rumspringa many years before. And they said the car was the big thing that they missed. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, in the in this documentary and in some communities, the overuse of drugs and alcohol will also drive them back to the church, which again, like drug the use of drugs and alcohol during Robinspringer is not the case in every Amish community, but it is definitely occurs in some of them. And so a lot of a lot of them when this does occur will be like oh i'm addicted to all these things i need to like wipe the slate clean and then they join the amish church um again it's a small minority of amish youth who actually partake in these activities and the nature of rumsbringa the Rumspringa period differs from individual to individual, individual, and from community to community. In large Amish communities, like the ones in Lancaster County in Pennsylvania, which is the one near me, um, the Amish are numerous enough that Amish youth subculture exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like in one part of Lancaster County, they might part like party during Rumspringa, but then in a neighboring part of the county, they won't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Or they, in the documentary, they also talk about they were in Indiana and they were like, yeah, we were at a party and there were people from Ohio there. For some, they travel to go to the community that matches what they want. Um, But mostly the period of Rumspringa is meant for courtship, and this is true across all amish communities um during this period the youth are permitted to attend what they call sunday night singings which are focused on courtship that happened after
1: church <laughs> that's so pure
0: yeah but i don't think they sing like i've got no information about what <laughs> um following rumspringa 90 percent of youth for some reason or another choose to be baptized and join the amish church your natural inclination is like well why would they do this because you you would think that they're like they're gonna get all this technology and they're gonna be like this is amazing nope Mm -hmm. most of the time they hate it and they turn around and they come back
1: i mean it's Um, not the culture they're they were raised with like no and it's like i think
0: the church very cleverly is like like the amish are about like like they hate excess and they hate the idea of luxury because like They were, like, these are all distractions from you serving your family. That's a big thing that they talk Mm -hmm. about. Like, these are all distractions from you connecting with your family, doing work for your community, and serving God. Like, to them, that's all distraction. Mm -hmm. And so, these youth go out there, and they were, like, you're right, it was a distraction. Like, it literally just proves their point, whether or not they wanted (laughs) it to. Um... If a person chooses to be baptized and then leaves the church, they will be shunned by their family and the community, and they will not be allowed to speak to them anymore. This does happen in the documentary to one woman. She talks about that experience. It was really um, interesting. Hard. And she was like, It is hard, but I do feel like leaving was the right choice for me um, because she just didn't feel. Like, she didn't feel fulfilled in the Amish church, and she Mm -hmm. didn't feel like she was getting what she wanted, um, and she felt restricted as opposed to fulfilled, but many people in the documentary talk about how after Rumspringa, um, like, having experienced all these extremities and all these luxuries, that then going back and just, like, suddenly having free time with no drugs or alcohol or anything like that, they were like, I just, like, spend time with my family, and it was really nice. Um, whereas, like, they were, they were saying, like, when they were out in the world, they were never connecting with anybody because there was too many distractions. Again, this was also in 2002. This was, like, pre-cell phones. There was internet, <laughs> but, like, and they were, like, they, they miss music. That's the other thing they say is that they all missed music.
1: Um, <sighs> that would be so hard.
0: Yeah, but they were, like, it's all distraction, and, like, coming back into the community, I feel so much more connected. And that was, like, an interesting thing to hear about, too, was that in the real world, they found that they, not in the real world, in the English world, they found, um, that it was really hard to connect with others. But in Mm. the Amish world, in the Amish community, like, they were like, oh, I knew everybody so intimately well, like, because all they could do was just sit and talk, you know?
1: (laughs) At the singings.
0: At the (laughs) singings. I was gonna say something else about the singings. Oh, something that's also interesting is that in the documentary, there is, um, what's the main guy's name? There's one guy that they keep going back to. I need to find his name. It's going to drive me nuts. Farron. Um, Farron is, like, I would say if there is a main player in the documentary, it's Farron. Mm-hmm. Um, and Farron is a preacher's son, which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he through his rumspringer at one point, dates a um, an English girl, and then he ends up dating an Amish woman. Um, and in Amish culture, because he found this Amish woman, they permit them to, like, spend the night together, which is, like, the complete opposite of Catholicism, where it's, like, (laughs) you can't, you can't sleep together. This is, like, part, I think this was just in this community. I don't want to say this is true of all Amish, um, religion, but this community, they were, like, I forget, it's called, like, moonlighting or something, but not that. (laughs) Um, but that's not what it was called, but it was, like, he's permitted to, like, spend the night in her room and like that's encouraged before they get married which i was like that's super interesting yeah um considering like it is a form of christianity and most christianity is like a big that's a big no for that no no (laughs) yeah um so that was yeah, Farron is the one who deals drugs and then he gets arrested and then he ends up aiding them and arresting another dealer who is also Amish, like it's a whole thing. Um, It's a really good good documentary. Well, I was going to
1: say, like, I feel like when I first heard about Rome Spring eight years ago, in my mind it was like a two week period. So I was like, okay, how do they know how to find a dealer, how to find a, like.
0: No, it can be years. It can be, it can last a really long time. Is there
1: like a cap on how long it now, can last?
0: And it, until they decide yes or no, I'll be baptized. Okay. But if you're so not you baptized, so you could like fifteen
1: years out be like, I'm I still wanna be deciding.
0: Back. Yes, you could. Okay. I mean, like you could say no. I'm not going to do it. But your rumspring isn't really over i guess until you like formally leave the community and say no i won't be baptized Mm -hmm. or you get baptized so most people like they know at the end of it oh i don't want to live here anymore and they go and they start doing other things Mm -hmm. um like farron moves to florida um it's like pretty clear he's not going to be baptized because he moved to a different state Uh, Mm -hmm. but he still had to talk to his family because he didn't join and then leave but if you join and then leave that's a big no-no Mm-hmm. So, it's a great documentary I highly recommend it. It's called Devil's Playground. The whole thing's on YouTube. Um it was directed by Lucy Walker. It won some awards. Um it the film follows uh, Amish teenagers in Lagrange mm-hmm. County, Indiana. Um and I think they talked to some people in Ohio too. It's it's um it's definitely a, <laughs> it's a wild ride, but <laughs> And it, again, like it does not speak for the experience of all young Amish people on Rumspringa, but mm-hmm. it definitely encapsulates this one community really okay. well in a very fascinating way. So oh. that is the tradition of Rumsbrugge. Oh,
1: Thank you for telling me all about that. Yeah, you're welcome. I'll have to invite you over for a singing sometime. For a singing, but
0: I'm not going to court you. <laughs> um,
1: you're not?
0: No. <laughs> you're not. Um, thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at WKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, iphbandwondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, you can consider donating to us through the link in our show notes and or leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at i've been wondering podcast at gmail.com.
1: Okay, Sarah, do you know what I've been wondering? what have you been wondering what is the 1619 project oh. now I've I saw I heard in the news the other night um, basically that I think it was Trump or somebody's throwing Trump pull funding from California schools if they discuss 1619 now I know what happened in 1619 I know that was the first year that slave ships were shaped slave ships were brought to America mm-hmm. um, but I want I want to know like about what the 169 project is and like, cool. when did when did it start? What are they trying to do? You know, right.
0: yeah, all that stuff. They've caused a lot of controversy. Yes, I will talk about that. I like this. I've read some of the 169 project. It's interesting. Okay, cool. Um, Jane, this is kind of on the same page. You know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering, Sarah? Speaking of t- newspapers, um, <laughs> um, Hong Kong recently passed a series of laws that like really really censor its people and i want to know like what these new laws mean oh okay and like why they have them
1: okay i'll look into that it's kind of it's kind of relevant with mulan coming out and the discussion around opinions (laughs) of hong kong true
0: true 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 um so i want to know more about that Cool, Leo. all right well sure that's what's happening next time. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.